The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 11. Glory to you, O Lord. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it you will find that tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Sing, shout, and dance. We rejoice since the power of God is with us in Jesus Christ. And who doesn't love a party? Last weekend, Ivy and I were going out for dinner, and we were trying to keep on schedule so we could go catch a movie, and we got stuck in some traffic on the strip, so we're going, oh, no, we're never going to get a table. We're not going to make it in time. We finally get to our destination, and what do we see but crowds of young people, high schoolers, all dressed up in suits, standing in front of restaurant entrances. Oh, yes. Homecoming week. Now we're really never going to get a table. <laughs> yeah, that time when all the alumni come home to show support and the marching band puts on a special performance. The football game gets a little extra hype. Maybe there's even a parade. There's other traditions too. Spirit week, did you have that? Picnics, tailgating, pep rallies, the homecoming court, a king and a queen, and of course the dance. Many date this tradition Back to the University of Missouri, 1911, they had a game and a parade. But even before that, the homecoming football games were a big deal, even going back to the 19th century. Anybody go to homecoming yet this year? No? 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 <laughs> but what's happening at homecoming? What is this thing, this tradition, this celebration? Well, it's a celebration of school spirit, of victory when the team wins, families and friends coming together to remember cherished and sacred moments from their school days. There's music and parties and food and fun all centered on the collective identity of the school, of the town and the people there. Small towns, are you from a small town and, and homecoming was a big deal? Yeah, yeah, you know that. It's a celebration of unity and hope. So this reading of King David is kind of a, a homecoming for the people of Israel and Judah. Certainly a celebration was happening, we hear that, and we see David anointed king over all of Israel, which was a big deal because the northern kingdom of Israel had been separated from the southern kingdom of Judah. And David dances as the Ark of the Covenant comes into the city of Jerusalem. But before we get to that, some background on the book of Samuel. It was originally written as one book when our Bibles showed First and Second Samuel. It was one book, likely a compilation of writings from several authors who told the story of a great time of change in Israel's history. There were the 12 tribes spread out over the land. 
learning how to survive in their new home. And they asked for a king. God granted their request, which led to the beginning of the monarchy. David was a great-grandson of Ruth. We heard that story just last week. His father, Jesse, was the son of Ruth's son, Obed. David, as the youngest son in a large family, couldn't have expected to ever become a king and lived and worked as a shepherd, later becoming a leader in Saul's army, King Saul. These times were full of division. Saul was jealous of David, tried to get rid of anyone who was not loyal to him. But David was chosen by God to be the future king. He was loved by Saul's daughter, Michael, and very close to his son, Jonathan, who was killed in battle. So David becomes king over Judah, the southern kingdom, and he ruled for six, seven and a half years, gaining in power and popularity. And then after Saul's death, David is chosen to be king over all of Israel. It was God who chose to make a great nation out of Abraham. It was God who moved Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And it was God who chose David to be king. The story of David in Scripture is the continuation of God's of the story of God's action in the world and God's promises coming true. The true power comes from God. God blesses Israel to be a light to the nations. God leads people from slavery into freedom, and God reaffirms the promises through David. David would be the hope of all the people, a sign that God was ruling among them again through this anointed king. So the first thing David does is move into Jerusalem. Before that, what was it? Well, it was just a city. It was a city strategically located between the north and the south. And he defeats the army of the Jebusites who were there, calls it the city of David, making Jerusalem the capital and joining north and south together as one kingdom. A civil war was ended. Tribes would be united once again. Well, hearing that Israel had a new king, the Philistines attacked. David defeated them with God's help, of course, and gained back the Ark of the Covenant. Don't think of, of Indiana Jones necessarily. But in the ark, what, what is it? What's in the ark? What do you know? What's in there? Sand? The tablets. The tablets. Yes, the, the Ten Commandments, right? What else? Manna. Yes, a jar of manna from when God provided in the wilderness. What else? One more thing. There's Bible trivia for you. Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod, yeah. We don't think about Aaron's rod very much. We think Moses had a staff, yeah, but Aaron had a rod too. And it sprouted flowers. It grew almonds to signify that the Levites would be the priestly tribe. Yeah, manna, Aaron's rod, and the tablets of the law given to Moses. God's word, the Ten Commandments. They were with Israel when they wandered in the desert, and when they came into the land, God promised them was understood to be the power of God with the people of Israel. The power of God is the word of God. And the word was coming home. It's a powerful thing, so powerful, and we didn't read this line, but they couldn't even look at it. They had sheets covering the ark. When you see a picture of it, it's got sticks, and then it's got sheets up, so you can't even see what's in there. But Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, reached over to steady the ark. you got oxen pulling this thing. It gets shaken and stirred. He reaches over to steady it, and he was killed instantly. There's power here. 
he was unprepared, ritually unclean, unable to handle it, to touch the ark. And that's true, I think, for us. Something about God's word that can seem so mysterious or overwhelming to us, and if we think we don't understand it, we might just not even attempt to, to touch it, to pick it up, attempt to read it. We, we might think we need some special knowledge or education to get into the word. We might even fear it will challenge or change us. And we don't particularly want to be confronted with it at times. There is power in the word, and the ark was a symbol of God's power. Bringing it to Jerusalem would mean that God's real presence was there in the city with the people. And Jerusalem would be the center of Israel's political power and a religious center as well. God was again at the center. David was God's anointed, chosen, and blessed king. The presence of God was back among the people. The word had come home. So what does David do? He makes a fool of himself. He dances, and the people, they dance with him. They're, they get up. They have a parade. He drops his robes and brings the ark into the city with a dramatic procession. And the homecoming parade of 30,000 people brings hope and joy and music along with it. David dances in a linen ephod. You all have one of those, right? It's a priestly garment, maybe maybe a robe, but more likely it was about the size of a dish towel. Okay, imagine the anointed king abandoning decorum, dancing with joy for the glory of the Lord. As the word is processed to a place of honor, not a temple yet, a tent in a high place. Can you imagine that kind of joy? Maybe you felt that when you graduated high school or college, on your wedding day, the birth of a child, or when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield. That was for him. Maybe you remember King David in the movie version, 1985, Richard Gere giving one of his best performances. As he dances before the ark and he's leaping and jumping without a thought to his status or stature in the presence of all the people, the royal court. The priests, the family, adults, and children. This dance is an act of worship. The music accompanies him, giving glory to God with ecstatic praise. What would the people have thought of this? Well, David's wife, Michelle, son, daughter of Saul, she gave him a hard time. Oh, king, look at you. Dancing in front of all the people, making a fool of yourself, she tells him later on. But David affirms this is for the glory of God. This is good, a good thing to show the people the celebration and love of God. Do we celebrate like that? To know that God's presence is with us? But God is here with us as we hear this word proclaimed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the proclaimed word is Christ himself walking through his congregation as the word. Jesus is here with you in the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. As you hear this good news of forgiveness and peace and abundant joy in Jesus, the King of Kings, who died that you would have abundant life, who is risen from the dead and is with you always. We make a joyful noise as we sing 
on key or off, as we play instruments, as we clap. Yes, we can clap and cheer to know that Jesus is here. We can have joy, you Lutherans. Jesus promises it. The same Jesus takes his rightly place as the anointed one, riding into Jerusalem generations later. A shoot from the stump of Jesse, descendant of David's royal house on the back of a colt. He rides into Jerusalem in a procession of the true king of the world with shouts of joy and hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The real presence of God is in Jesus, the Lord. And the word is with us. God's chosen son is here. In this place today, in this city, on this corner, in the world. David would rule over Israel for 40 years. He wasn't perfect. Made more than his share of mistakes. Yet with him, God proved faithful to keep the promise. And doesn't God do that with us? Even when we mess up, God can use us. God chose David and used him, and the power of the word was with him and with Israel, and is with us. The power of God that was with David is with us through the word. We come to hear it, and we sing it, and we eat it. Yes, around this table we gather each week in what is truly a joyful foretaste of the feast to come. A celebration where we are all together, united in Christ, in the heavenly kingdom. Because of Jesus, we can live with hope for that ultimate future homecoming and live fully present here and now with joy and peace. Knowing that the word is everlasting, not kept in a box, but bursting forth in the world in pulpits and in pews, in homes and in our hearts. Jesus is with us, and that is powerful. We have grace and peace and forgiveness in him now and always. So strike up the band, sing and shout, praise him all you people. Amen.